And the Lord's people joined and said, Amen and Amen. I want to encourage you to take your Bible and open it to John chapter 9. And we'll be focusing on the story where Jesus encountered a man alongside the road who had been born with a serious medical condition that rendered him blind. And we'll see how Jesus engaged with the disciples with some of their questioning about that situation. John chapter 9. I'll get to that in just a few moments. But first I thought we would do a little bit of introduction and and recap uh, where we are in the series that we began last Sunday called Misconceptions of God. Back in my seminary days at the Baptist Seminary at Richmond, I had the opportunity to serve as an intern at Richmond First Baptist Church, one of our sister churches. And you all have done many things with First Church and actually are engaging in a study right now with them in uh, this fall. And part of the ministry of First Baptist is a mission called Grace Fellowship. And on, I believe it was Thursday evenings, they uh, send teams out to Monroe Park, right down in the heart of VCU, to minister to those who are homeless. And Grace Fellowship continues to be an active ministry even to this day. Being the seminarian, I often got an opportunity to lead the sermon. And it was just maybe a music stand if you're lucky, but a mic with a simple sound machine with some speakers. We had music with a stand-up what do you call those, Philip? Um, keyboard, just a keyboard. That was about it. Maybe a guitar if we were fortunate. And, and then I, I, I have the opportunity to, to preach. And preaching would often be sort of the call and response. Uh, often uh, you, we would hear, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. So... I began to enjoy engaging the congregation as they gathered there in Monroe Park in that way. And and when I became a pastor after seminary, I was able to bring some teams from the church where I served prior to here, back in Mechanicsville, to come down to Monroe Park and assist those with Grace Fellowship. And they kind of experienced the worship, God is good all the time. And it started to affect even our worship back at the church. And sometimes I would say, God is good, and the church people would say all the time. So we practice that today. God is good all the time. God is good. One more time. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. And then one day, one of our young people came up to me and said, Pastor Bob, Why do you just say God is good? Why don't you say God is great? Probably from the table blessing, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, which is a prayer that we even to this day still say around our supper table. Why do children ask the preacher such hard questions? By the way, you all keep asking the hard questions. We, we, 
want you to ask good questions like that. And honestly, I didn't have an answer right away. I had to process it and came to an understanding that it's okay for us to say God is good all the time. It's also okay for us to say God is great, like Nehemiah prayed, great and awesome God. And it's okay for us to say God is great, God is good in the same prayer. Because we believe that when we say God is great, it speaks to the power of God, the awesomeness of God, the greatness and the majesty of God, the God who spoke creation into being, the God who is intricately involved in the universe, intimately involved. And at the same time, when we say God is good, we're speaking of a God who cares about us, a God who loves us, a God who is our shepherd and shepherds us as a shepherd carries a lamb in his arms. So we worship an all-powerful God who is great, and we worship a God who is good, who cares deeply about each one of us, so much so that he chose to take on human flesh and to become like us, God in the flesh, the incarnation, God as a human being, God as a human being who chose to enter into every kind of human suffering that humanity could endure, God who identifies with our suffering, a God who is with us no matter what. Philip Yancey quotes C.S. Lewis saying, love's as hard as nails, love is nails. Blunt, thick, hammered through the medial nerves of the one who, having made us, knew the thing he had done, seeing with all that is our cross and his. And then Yancey goes on to state the cross, the most universal image in the Christian religion, offers proof that God cares about our suffering and pain. He died of it. Yancey writes, many religions have gods, little g gods, but only one has a God with a big G who cared enough to become a man and to die. As Christians, we live with the tension of believing in a powerful and caring God while we live in this broken world. And it is broken. Someday, God will redeem this earth and it will be heaven. But until that day, we live in a broken earth. See the plight of the Syrian refugee and you understand the brokenness of this earth. See the plight of the man who was without a home who came through these doors yesterday and said, all I want, Pastor, is a haircut. And thankfully, some of our students who were his advocates led him and his other friends who came by bus here from other parts of our city. And at the end of the day, when I saw him come back out, his face was beaming because he had received a haircut from one of our volunteers. I just wanted a haircut. Another lady just wanted school supplies. 
And you should have seen her face when I handed the school supplies to her. You all experienced that yesterday. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In the midst of brokenness, we are able to bring some light. We can't fix it all. We can't solve everything, but we can do something. And you all did that yesterday. And as your new pastor, I'm so thankful to see what I saw. Thank you for serving in the way that you serve. Honestly, when I saw all the people gathered, I was overwhelmed and I said, there's no way in my mind. There's no way that all of these guests are going to receive all of these services by 2 o'clock. But pretty well, by around that hour, you all had served and served well. Thank you. Laura was at the early service. Laura worked, who was our leader of the clinic. And I thanked her there, and I thank her today. And I thank all of those of you who joined in the clinic. And Josh, you did an outstanding job helping to report what God did in our midst yesterday. And thank you. But don't you just want to fix it and make it all better? There was a man and woman yesterday I met, and they neither of them were in housing at the moment. They, had, they are actually going in and out of a weekly rented motel. They save enough of their disability money to get a weekly hotel, and they stay there as long as they can, and then they are homeless again until they can get up enough money to get back into the weekly hotel. And, you know, I, I just wanted to sign a lease agreement for them with some landlord and get it done. But I know that that's not what God would want me to do. Bob, you're not supposed to fix it. You're supposed to be faithful, and you're supposed to meet the need that is before you as best as you can, but it is not your job to go out and try to fix everything. And I believe that you all did what God desired for you to do. We live with this tension of worshiping an all-powerful and good God and seeing the brokenness around us. Jesus, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. This is the following notes. This is the first thing I want you to jot down today. We do know this, that Jesus said in this world we would have trouble. John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. And the word trouble is translated from a Greek word, thalipsis. And thalipsis means a pressing together, pressure, affliction, oppression, tribulation, distress. And it comes from another Greek root that is refers to winemaking where the grapes are pressed down and then juice runs out and then is made into wine. And often we are pressed in, we are afflicted, we are distressed, we go through tribulation. We know this, we see it around us. Many of us know it firsthand. And this tension causes many people in our world, even Christian people, to question the goodness of God. How could a good God allow that bad thing to happen? And we grapple with these things. And the misconception often, as we look at our series, each Sunday studying a different misconception of God and looking to 
Jesus to see what he says about it, making clear the truth. This misconception is that God is sitting in heaven as an angry judge just waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can punish us. And if that were true, if that were true, then why the cross? Wouldn't that not just belittle the cross? That's the way, one of the ways that I've come to understand it. There are a lot of things I do not understand in this world, but I do know that the God of Jesus is a good God because Jesus was good. Jesus reflects the image of the Father. He is an exact representation of God. We know this. But often we see things and hear things that cause us to have perhaps a distorted view of who God is. You remember after 9-11, some well-known televangelists tried to blame the plane crashes into the Twin Towers and the other events of 9-11 on society and the ills of society. And that's not the kind of theology we believe is accurate. So today we're going to look at this misconception and look at the person of Jesus to help us to understand the inherent goodness and mercy of our God Almighty. Our gospel story is one where Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. And they had been there for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's late in the fall before the spring where Jesus died on the cross, late in the last year of his life. And they're walking along the road, John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and Jesus sees a man who'd been blind from birth. And John is reporting this. And I'll read starting in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples then asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I'll stop there. This leads us to the second note that you might want to write is, we don't know why we suffer. We don't know. The disciples were struggling with this issue. They asked him the question, who sinned? Meaning, they figured that his malady must have been the direct result of something that he had done or his parents had done for him to be born that way. And it didn't take long for Jesus to say in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He sets it right very quickly. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus helps us to see very quickly that our God is not an angry God who is sitting in heaven waiting for somebody to do something wrong to cause a malady or a, something like a man who was born blind. There was a Jewish thought that even people could sin in utero and before they were born, and that the punishment of God would be blindness. And Jesus is saying, that is not the truth. That is not accurate. That's not the image of God that we want people to understand. Haven't you ever heard some people trying to explain away bad situations? Have you? One writer calls it cold comfort. Often, I need to zip it. Just listen. Instead of trying to say something to make myself feel better, 
Have you ever had somebody tell you, well, everything happens for a reason? You'll, you just wait. Everything, you'll, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Everything happens for a reason. You'll, you just wait and you'll see it. Now, I know there's truth in that verse from Paul that God works good in all things. But sometimes the timing is just not very good. Or the Lord won't give you more than you can handle. Sometimes it is more than we can handle. And the scripture says there, but the Lord gives us a way out when it does happen. Leaving off the last part of that verse. Or the Lord must have needed another angel in the heavenly choir. You've heard those things. You're still young enough to remarry. Or the Lord's trying to teach you a lesson. Those kinds of statements do not point to a good God who has compassion on us and enters into our suffering. They try to explain it away. And the disciples were trying to find a reason for something that they could not understand. And honestly, folks, we just don't know why we suffer. But we do know that there is a good God who redeems our circumstances enables his light to shine through it that others can see divine activity through us. And I believe that's what yesterday, part of what yesterday was about, serving those among the community who are in the least of these, God's children, we do it unto the Lord. And God is glorified through that, and his name is, is, is made more known, and his reputation is enhanced. That's not why God causes something or allows something to happen. But, but when something does occur, God is glorified through it when his church responds in the way that you respond yesterday. It was such a blessing to see that. Something else that we do know, if you're taking notes, we, we do know that God is good. Psalm 136 tells us God is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. God created all things and, and looked out and said, it is good. It is good. And then at the end, God stepped back and said, it is very good. Tov ma'od in the Hebrew, it is very good. A good and loving God created us and called us very good. And this goodness exists in the face of evil, and you and I are called to bring the light of God through being the hands and feet of Jesus, that people don't remember the hurt, but they remember the goodness of God. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 21, we are to overcome evil with good. We also know that Jesus experienced suffering. We've talked about that already. He entered into the depths of human suffering. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Speak of his suffering on our behalf. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cruel Roman cross. Jesus experienced every known suffering 
to humankind. The writer of Hebrews echoes this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And we know, in spite of our suffering, and in spite of the things that we see around us, that we, as God's children, have a reason to hope. We believe in the resurrection. We believe Jesus defeated death. We know that he was placed in the tomb, but we know that on the third day he came and appeared before his followers. We know that we believe in a God who lives today, a God who is not dead, but a God who lives. And this is a reason for hope because someday God will redeem this broken earth and all things will be made new. Peter writes, that we need to have this reason for hope. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We're not supposed to beat people over the head with the Bible. We're supposed to share with them the hope that we have, have with gentleness and respect. This happened in this passage in the Gospel of John. The man whom Jesus healed, if you look back at the passage, starting in verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. We have hope in the God who is with us, the God who who breathes life into our circumstances. This man could not explain how he was healed. He simply believed that the the Pharisees interrogated him about it, and he just told him what had happened. He was interrogated again. Then uh, his parents were interrogated. Finally, Jesus comes back and circles around and finds him and helps him to understand the truth of the Son of Man. And we see that the disciples were witnessing all all of this, and perhaps their Questions were answered in a roundabout way where Jesus didn't tell them, but he showed them. This gives us hope. One of our members, Kristen Francisco, our deacon coordinator, painted a painting recently that we can share. She said that we could share it with you all on the screen today. And the title of her painting is Holder of Hope, God Revealed. And her creativity helps us to see an image of how God's hand is upon us. And he holds things together. That through God, and through the power of the resurrection, all things will be made new. This hope sustains us 
when we journey through times that we cannot explain. Sometimes all we have to hold is hope. Hope sustains us in our suffering. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, for, for this cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I know about whom. Because we can know all about Jesus, but not know Jesus intimately. We can know theology and we can have studied all about what Jesus is, did and how he lived and how he taught. But unless we know the person of Jesus, we are missing the relationship part. And Paul writes, I know whom. Not in whom or about whom or I've studied him. I know whom. I know Jesus. And that passage helps us to see the importance of knowing the person of Jesus Christ who is with us when we are journeying through the difficulties of life. Whether we lose our job or whether we lose somebody who is dear to our heart. Or whether our children have made decisions that we wish they would not, that God is with us and gives us hope. That passage inspired Daniel Webster Whittle, who served in the Civil War, to write the hymn, I know whom I have believed. I not know, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I non, know not how his saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I, not, I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed. I know whom. I know the person. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He wants you to know the person God does of Jesus Christ, his son. The person, not about him, not theology, not Sunday school, quarterlies, what it says. He wants you and me to know the person. I know whom I have believed and that he is able. God is able to redeem our circumstances. And someday, someday, it will all be made new. And someday, we will know much more than we know here in this place. Let's pray together. Thank you.